Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. To plaintiff Robbie Parker, A, defamation slash slander damages past his future, $60 million. B, emotional distress damages past and future, $60 million. We, the jury, return the following verdict in regard to punitive damages. $15 million. What are the plaintiff's damages as a result of the breach of this provision? $55 million and $90,000. We have covered massive verdicts in the millions and even billions here on Sidebar. Well, time to break down some of these recent cases who better to discuss that than Dan Morgan from Morgan & Morgan, the largest personal injury law firm in the country. Welcome to Sidebar, presented by Law & Crime. I'm Jesse Weber. All right, so before we get started, first, I know there's been a lot of comments about my voice. Yes, I'm overworked. I lost my voice. What can I say? This is the best I can do right now. Bear with me. I'll recover. I'll be okay, but I appreciate the concern. I saw a lot of comments in our previous sidebar about it. Okay. So we have covered a number of big verdicts here on Sidebar. And, you know, it's waiting to see if someone is guilty or not guilty. That's usually what we talk about. But do you know what we haven't talked about enough? The money, those major monetary verdicts or decisions or judgments. And and really, I'm talking millions of dollars. I'm talking billions of dollars. So these are the five big money awards from recent cases. And before we even get into any of that, I have a special guest to help me break this down. I am joined right now by Dan Morgan, an attorney from Morgan & Morgan, the largest personal injury law firm in America, and our proud sponsor here on Sidebar. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me today. Appreciate uh, being here. You ready to jump right into it, the big cases? Oh, yeah. I'm ready to get into the the high dollar verdicts and break them down with you. Well, let's do it. So I can't talk about big money awards or big monetary verdicts without talking about Alex Jones. So Alex Jones, the InfoWars founder and host, he had been sued by the families of those who lost loved ones in the 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting, as well as a former FBI agent, all for comments that he made regarding that massacre, namely where he said it was staged and that it was fake and it was a hoax and the parents were crisis actors and they sued him for defamation and intentional infliction of emotional distress. And Alex Jones actually automatically lost all of those lawsuits because he failed to abide by court-ordered discovery obligations. He didn't turn over materials to the other side. The court ended up entering into default judgments against him, so he automatically lost. Now, the two trials at issue, one in Connecticut and one in Texas, they were all about how much money would he have to pay up in damages? How big of a penalty are we talking about here? And both of these trials, I will tell you, had some very memorable moments, like how in his Texas trial, he looked almost like a deer in headlights when he seemed to learn that his lawyers had inadvertently sent over to the plaintiff's side all of his text messages. One of the things that you were ordered to do in this lawsuit, you were ordered to turn over any text messages with Gene Sandy Hook, right? Yes. And you didn't have any, right? Not that we could find. And, and you, in fact, told me in, in your testimony, sworn testimony before coming to this courtroom, you searched, right? I did. Okay. You've got it upside down. That's text messages between you and Paul Watson, isn't it? Yes. And they mentioned Sandy Hook, don't they? Yes. I've never seen this text message. I guess you guys got Paul's. My phone didn't save them. So you did get my text messages. And it said you didn't. Nice trick. <laughs> yes, Mr. Jones. Oh. Indeed. You didn't give this text message to me. You don't you don't know where this came from. Do you know where I got this? No. Mr. Jones, did you know that twelve days ago, twelve days ago, 
your attorneys messed up and sent me an entire digital copy of your entire cell phone with every text message you've sent for the past two years, and when informed, did not take any steps to identify it as privileged or protected in any way, and as of two days ago, it fell free and clear into my possession, and that is how I know you lied to me when you said you didn't have text messages about saying you Did you know that? I See, I told you the truth. This is your Perry Mason moment. I gave them my phone, and then- Mr. Jones, you need to answer the question. No, I, you I, know I, this happened? No, I didn't know this happened, but I mean, I told you I gave him the phone over. And you said, you said in your deposition, you searched your phone. You said you pulled down the text, did the search function for Sandy Hook. That's what you said, Mr. Jones, correct? And I had several, several different phones with this number, but I did, yeah. Well, of course, I mean, that's why you got it. Or how in his Connecticut trial, when he got into this heated back and forth with the plaintiff's lawyer. That's Robbie Parker, isn't it, Mr. Jones? It is. That's the real Robbie Parker, isn't it? I mean, I said years ago, I thought Sandy Hook had him. Robbie Parker's sitting right here. He's real, isn't he? Yes. You put a target on his back just like you did every single parent and loved one sitting here. Did you? No, I didn't. You have families in this courtroom here that lost children, sisters, Wives, moms. This is a struggle session. Are we in China? I've already said I'm sorry hundreds of times, and, I, and I'm done saying I'm sorry. And but I legitimately thought it might have been staged, and I stand by that. And I don't apologize for it. And, and, and don't apologize, Mr. Jones. Please don't apologize. No, I've already apologized to the parents over because and over again. Know your I don't apologize to you. Objection. My overall favorite, though, was him being questioned by the judge in Texas about chewing gum. Put your gum out, Mr. Jones. Not gum. What is it? Because you're not allowed food or gum of any kind in the courtroom. <coughs> I, I, I had my tooth pulled uh, a week and a half ago, and it's I, I had some gauze in there earlier, and it's it's been causing me to have some pain. So you're chewing on your gauze? Would you like me to show you? No, I yeah, just here? want you to answer my question. No, I, I was massaging the hole in my mouth with my tongue. I'm here, right here. I don't want to see the inside of your mouth. Oh, no, there's no gun. What a series of trials to talk about. But in the end, the juries in both cases came back and Jones was ordered to pay almost $50 million to the plaintiffs in Texas and almost $1 billion in Connecticut. Plus, the Connecticut judge ordered an additional $473 million in punitive damages. Now, Dan, let me talk to you about this because what are your thoughts on how the juries got to those numbers? Because it seemed to be just an outright rejection of all of Jones's arguments. Yeah, I mean, I think when the jury came to this, it's really about the subject matter that you're dealing with. And really, they're putting themselves in that position of they went through that tragedy. They had to hear that they were, you know, the things that were being alleged against these parents that lost their children, that they were crisis actors and this wasn't real. Meanwhile, they're they're living through it and now they have to relive it and go through all these, ac- these accusations. You have an inflamed jury that is sending a message not only to Alex Jones, but to every other media outlet and, and, and any other person out there that's doing the clickbait or trying to get the reaction and the reviews. Hey, if you spew this type of stuff, this is the type of backlash that's going to come along with it. So I think it was really a message to, to, to the community as, as a whole that we're going to put an end to this type of journalism. And they rejected the any idea like these claims were over-exaggerated or that he never intended to cause harm. They didn't believe that at all. I wonder if Alex Jones getting on the stand, and I know he was called as a witness by the other side, but him getting on the stand didn't help him too much. Well, I think, yeah, because that's when the jury has an opportunity to really see the character and, and you know, if his, his remorse or the way that he felt about it. And you play that side by side of the clips of him saying it and him really not owning up to it or really, you know, saying that it was he that he didn't know for sure that he was also led down that path. So he was just repeating what he heard. Uh, and it was, yeah, it, was, it was an outright rejection by the jury. And then obviously the, the judge laid, laid the hammer down ultimately with the punitives and everything else. Yeah, I wanted your perspective on. The biggest question, can he actually pay up, right? How is he going to be able to pay this? So we know that Jones and his company, Free Speech Systems, they filed for bankruptcy. And the bankruptcy court judge, excuse me, said that 
that wouldn't shield him from his obligations. He still had to pay. He has appealed both of the jury awards in both Connecticut and Texas. And while that is going on, there has been a back and forth with the families because a bankruptcy court judge in Texas gave the families a choice. Either have Jones pay them $55 million over 10 years or liquidate his estate. And it's our understanding if he did sell everything, it would bring in no more than $10 million, but then you subtract the expenses, you subtract the attorney's fees, and that's like 3 to $4 million left. How is this going to shake up? Exactly. I mean, that's the main thing when, when, when you hear about these types of verdicts that get laid out across the country, you know, is there a pocketbook behind it to really pay on it? Um, you know, obviously, if you're going against a big insurance agency or a, or a hospital group or a pharmaceutical company, you know there's dollars behind that. But when you're going against an individual it's really, you know, you're playing, you're, it's now a gamble. And like, I, you know, Alex Jones isn't on the, any Forbes list that I've seen lately. So you got a billion dollar judgment against your name. Uh, most likely you're, you're, you're headed right to that bankruptcy court to start protecting yourself and, and your assets. So now these puts these plaintiffs in a tough position. Do we keep going down this battle, which obviously is going to keep ripping that bandaid open of the underlying issues that you're there for. And now 10 years down, down the road. So now you're sometime and 2000 and then, you know, third, third, 35, still getting these checks that come in. Or you say, Hey, let's just li liquidate him out. Make sure that he's got everything. He's dried out and you get that and move on. Um, the problem is that Alex Jones is in a kind of a, a nice position because he has an option to do that now. And then he can go on and make money for the next 10 years. And he did right, right back to where he is doing what he does. Or the flip side is he can just kind of do this next this long game for 10 years and not really report any income. Give, give them checks and when he makes in, get his, his, his wages garnished. But after that 10 years, he's kind of another get, get out of jail free card. So it's really is a catch 22 for these plaintiffs. Yeah, it's a difficult decision. Um, I, I wanted to ask you before we go on to our next case, a very high profile case, but before we get into that one, this was such a big award. And I wonder someone in your practice, I mean, you're part of the largest personal injury law firm in America. Did you look at this, um, uh, this Jones Award and you say, this changes the business now. This changes how we approach cases. This changes, you know, how maybe we, whether we go to trial or what, what juries are maybe would come back with. I mean, how did this decision in the Jones case affect your practice? Yeah, I mean, I think for all kind of plaintiff attorneys that, kind of deal in this in this way of these defamation type cases that are going against the characters um, of people. I know there's there's other famous ones, uh, the Gawker one, for instance, with Hulk Hogan, where you kind of just can go in and, and level these companies down for getting these stories or these, these privacy breaches out there. So there's definitely been more attention to these types of cases when the phone are the phones are ringing about them, that there's definitely a lot more attention um, being paid to them. And then just the fact that, yeah, that juries, if there's tr truly is something that shocks the conscious or, or something out there that might not be a physical injury or you can point to and say on an MRI scan, that's what's hurt, that's what caused the pain, but something more um, more emotional, you know, there's some social media harm cases that we see now that are going on, these bullying cases that, that are going on so with some pretty large verdicts that are coming from them, but I think it's that the, the, the society as a whole is going to start acknowledging that, no, some real damage can be right. done from from these types of cases yep all right let's move on to the next one and it kind of it was a you know a Freudian slip you heard me mention Depp that's what we're going to talk about Johnny Depp Amber Heard big trial 2022 out in Virginia and this was the case where the Pirates of the Caribbean star sued his ex-wife Amber Heard the actress for defamation this after she wrote an op-ed piece for the Washington Post claiming that she was a domestic abuse survivor. And Depp argued that although he wasn't named in the article, the op-ed was clearly about him and what he allegedly did to her. Now, the first statement was the headline, which read, quote, Amber Heard, I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath. That has to change. Then within the op-ed, the second statement was, quote, Then two years ago, I became a public figure representing domestic abuse, and I felt the full force of our culture's wrath for women who speak out. The third statement, quote, I had the rare vantage point of seeing in real time how institutions protect men accused of abuse. And Depp argued that as a result of this op-ed, his reputation, his career was never the same because he was branded an abuser. And Heard ended up countersuing Johnny Depp for statements made on what she argued was his behalf by his attorney, Adam Waldman. Comments like that her claims were a hoax. And so you literally had this back and forth, this 
he said, she said in this defamation case. And I say literally because both Depp and her testified in this Virginia trial. So for Depp, it was all about proving not only did he not abuse Amber Heard, but that he was the victim of abuse. Uh, Ms. Heard made uh, some quite heinous and um, uh, disturbing, uh, brought these disturbing criminal um, acts um, against uh, me that uh, that were not based in any species of truth. Have you ever sexually assaulted Ms. Heard? Never. Mr. Depp, could you please explain to the jury the circumstances that led to you having um, the bruise that's reflected in this photograph? There was another confrontation. She was uh, coming out, you know, trying to, uh, well, trying to get to me, trying to hit me. That Whitney stepped in front of Amber and was facing Amber to stop Amber. Amber snuck in the, she reached, got the roundhouse in and... And one of the key pieces of evidence was a recording between the couple where Heard seemingly admits to doing this. I didn't punch you, by the way. You, I'm sorry that I didn't uh, uh, hit you across the face in a proper slap, but I was hitting you. It was not punching you. Babe, you're not punched. Don't tell me what it feels like to be punched. You, you know, you've been a lot of fights, been around a long time. I don't know. Yeah. No, I when you have a you didn't get punched. You got hit. I'm sorry I hit you like this, but I did not punch you. I did not deck you. I was hitting you. I don't know what the motion of my actual hand was, but you're fine. I did not hurt you. I did not punch you. I was hitting you. How are you? How, what am I supposed to do? Do this? I, I'm not sitting here about it, am I? You are. That's the difference between me and you. You're a baby. Because you started. You are such a baby. Grow the f up, you Johnny. Physical fights? I did start a physical fight. Yeah, you did. So I had because to get out of there. Yes, you did. So you did the right thing, the big thing. The, you know what? You're admirable. Now, her defended herself, and she recounted what she allegedly experienced at the hands of Johnny Depp. Because he's guilty. Because he's, he knows he's lying. Otherwise, why can't he look at me? I survived. I survived that man, and I'm here, and I'm able to look at him. Do you remember the first time that he physically hit you? Yes. I asked him about the tattoo he has on his arm. I didn't know what it said. It just looked like muddled, faded tattoo that was hard to read. And I said, what, is it, what does it say? And he um, said it says, why no? It says, why no? And I, um, I didn't see that. I thought he was joking. Uh, because it didn't look like it said that at all, and I laughed. It was that simple. Um, I, I just laughed because I thought he was joking. And he slapped me across the face. He said, you think it's so funny? You think it's funny, You think you're a funny, And he slapped me again. I just stared at him because I didn't know what else to do. And he slaps me one more time. Hard. God, did he just hit me? No, I knew it was wrong, and I knew that I had to leave him. And that's what broke my heart, because I didn't want to leave him. I thought if I got up out of that room, that I'd leave the best thing that ever happened to me. And a crucial piece of evidence for her was a secret recording of Johnny Depp in the morning trashing the kitchen. Something happened to you. 
morning? I don't think so. Um, no, that's the thing. You want to see crazy? I'll give you. Crazy. Oh, you're crazy. Are you crazy? Have you drunk this whole thing this morning? Oh, you got this going. You got this going. Oh, I just it. oh really? Yeah. Really? violent in that clip correct um clearly i was having a bad time well after almost 13 hours of deliberations and after a six week long trial the jury came back with their verdict mr depp's claim against ms heard one quote i spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath that has to change end quote do you find that Mr. Depp has proven all the elements of defamation? Answer, yes. Two, quote, then two years ago, I became a public figure representing domestic abuse, and I felt the full force of our culture's wrath for women who speak out, end quote. Do you find that Mr. Depp has proven all the elements of defamation? Answer, yes. Three, Quote, I had the rare vantage point of seeing in real time how institutions protect men accused of abuse, end quote. Do you find that Mr. Depp has proven all the elements of defamation? Answer, yes. As against Amber Heard, we the jury award compensatory damages in the amount of $10 million. As against Amber Heard, we the jury award punitive damages in the amount of $5 million. As against John C. Depp II, we, the jury, award compensatory damages in the amount of $2 million. As against John C. Depp II, we, the jury, award punitive damages in the amount of $0. So the jury believed each one of those statements in the Washington Post op-ed piece that they were defamatory against Johnny Depp, and they awarded him $15 million. As for Amber Heard, they believe that she was defamed by one statement made by Adam Waldman calling her claims a hoax and awarded her $2 million. And in the end, Depp settled with Amber Heard for just $1 million. Dan, back to you. I mean, for me, I was covering this case in Virginia. I was waiting to hear this. I was very surprised that the jury came back and found no instances of abuse whatsoever on the part of uh, uh Johnny Depp, you know, they basically said that she defamed him completely. What did you make of this verdict? Well, you know, it goes back to what you were calling in the beginning. It really is just a he said, she said. These come down to who does a jury believe more? And to make things more complicated, you have two actors in a courtroom that are going toe to toe. So it's really who do you believe out out of these two people? Um, And the jury clearly believed Johnny more than they believed Amber. Um, I was a little bit kind of shocked that it played out the way it did because they did award both people money as well, saying, hey, you know, you, you, you did wrong as, as well, but that labeling him that as his career, they probably saw there was more damage done to his career for the things that were said than was done to her. Um, but no, it, it definitely was one to, to watch play out. Every, every, I feel like every day there was something crazy or dramatic that was coming out of that courtroom. And what about the number, the $15 million that was awarded by the jury for Johnny Depp? And then, you know, I got to say, Amber Heard, she countersued him for $100 million. She didn't even get close to that. When you look at the numbers, what does that tell you? Well, I mean, again, I think it goes to what did Johnny lose from from these claims? So if they were able to prove, hey, he lost these two movies, he lost this movie deal, what's that worth? And they have a tangible number that the jury can then assign to it, uh, opposed to what, what, what did she lose or what did she have to lose from it? I think that... This all playing out, the jury just saw that, you know, it, I, I believe he probably asked for a lot more money than he gave as well. So um, these, these these numbers both got brought down to uh, reality, so so to speak. But it, it definitely shows that the jury saw that a real loss was taken from Johnny. Something was taken from Amber and that all, all that to say that she was able to settle out for a million dollars. Uh, so 
Um, it could have been resolved a lot, lot more quickly, it seems like. But th- this is the part. This is the part I'll end it on. I mean, I was one of the people wondering, why is Johnny Depp taking this to trial? He wants his dirty laundry aired for the world to see. And in the end, it seemed like the best decision because he his whole reputation was revived. He put her on the hot seat and everybody started siding with him and saying, Maybe these claims weren't real. So it wasn't even about the money. It was more the idea of letting the world see what happened between them. And, I, you know, I didn't see that at the beginning of the trial. I thought it was a bad decision for him to sue her in a public courtroom and have cameras there. But in the end, it seemed like the right thing. Oh, absolutely. Because imagine if or he did the opposite. If he settled with her for a million dollars three years prior, Johnny Depp settles the lawsuit. Now everyone, the whole pub- public is saying, oh, see, he did do it. It was all true. Um, yeah. So I think that was his, his real strategy. You know, the money was probably secondary to him, especially seeing uh, in the courtroom how much he was spending on bottles of wine and vacations and things of that nature. Uh, this 15 million is probably just getting him back to even a little bit on that stuff. Um, but no, I think it was a part to just say, hey, you're not going to say this. You're not going to sling mud. You're not going to, uh, you know, say it's not me, but, you know, infer it is me in, in, in the court of public public opinion I'm, I'm going to come in and clear my name um so i think that was his main mission so he was i guess he he was successful in that and then he, the 15 million was an added bonus that he settled out for for a million with her name on that check was probably a good vindication for him and by the way he used that million dollars to pay charities not even like he took it to buy himself <laughs> something so it was interesting all right i hope you're enjoying my conversation so far with dan morgan i know i am but let me tell you a little bit more about his law firm morgan and morgan one of our great sponsors here on sidebar look aside from the fact that morgan and morgan is the largest injury law firm in america what makes them so unique is how easy they make it for their clients. They have completely modernized the process from submitting your claim to signing contracts to uploading documents to talking to your whole legal team. I mean, Morgan & Morgan has over 4,000 support staff. This can all be done right on your smartphone. That's it. You can find out if you have a case in just minutes. If you're injured, it is so important to protect your rights and see if you should be compensated. And Morgan & Morgan is all about fighting for the money you deserve. They don't settle for lowball insurance offers. They can go to court. Recently, they saw verdicts of $6.8 million in New York, $12 million in Florida, and $26 million in Philadelphia. Now, mind you, these are considerably higher than the highest insurance offers for these accidents. Fighting big companies takes a big law firm after all. And get this, the fee, absolutely free unless you win. So to start your claim now with Morgan & Morgan, go to ForThePeople.com slash LCSidebar or click the link in the description and pinned in the comments. All right, now let's move on to another big trial. This was a celebrity trial from last year. Rapper and singer Flo Rida, whose real name is Tremar Dillard, he sued Celsius Holdings, Inc., the company that makes Celsius energy drinks. You might be familiar with them. And he argued that the company violated the terms of an endorsement deal that they had with him. He was a brand ambassador from 2014 to 2018, which, according to the rapper, provided tremendous growth for Celsius, increased sales, stock value, brand recognition. The idea here was that back in 2014, the stock for the company was less than a dollar. And then at the time of the trial, it's over a hundred dollars. And Flo Rida says this is because of him. And Flowrider claimed that he was never paid the required bonus compensation in the forms of stock and royalties that would have been worth millions of dollars. More specifically, the rapper entered into a contract with Celsius in 2014, and that agreement was that they would work on a co-branded powder product that's poured into the drinks, and that he would also just generally promote Celsius's brand and products. And there were two bonus compensation provisions. First, if Celsius hit a million dollars in gross cumulative co-branded revenues in a 12-month period, he would get 250,000 shares of Celsius stock. Second, if the company sold 690,000 units of that co-branded powder product, Flowrider would receive an additional 500,000 shares. The 2014 contract ended in 2016, but Celsius and Flo Rider signed another two-year contract, and that contract said that he would receive royalties on another drink called Flo's Flavor. When Flo Rider asked for the 750,000 shares in 2021, Celsius said no. So in other words, there were questions about whether those benchmarks, those milestones were ever hit. And also, how do you interpret the language of the contract? For example, Flowrider argued that co-branded revenues could mean all Celsius products, not just the powder, and that the $1 million milestone was hit. 
And even if you say, well, it doesn't mean all the products, $1 million milestone was hit in 2018 and Flowrider was entitled to the shares because the 2016 agreement was an extension of the 2014 agreement. That was his argument. Now, he also argued that one stick of the powder product was considered a unit for the 690,000 units benchmark. Here's just a sample of some of that argument during the 2023 trial. He was always thinking long-term. What is this stock going to be worth? When I get involved with this big brand, co-branding, giving part of his brand to this company with this largely unknown uh, brand of it. As bonus compensation, once the company achieves $1 million in gross cumulative co-branded revenue in any 12-month period during the term. Okay, so each of these are going to prove important, all the different clauses. Each of them are going to prove important. But that's the first one. The second one is 500,000 shares upon the sale of 690,000 units of co-branded product. That's his vision, what he can do with his brand, with this product he loves, and he starts to get his contract signed and he starts to execute. It's not just that he's putting it in um, music videos. And, uh, then before, he, he already had his world record, but then right, right within the year of signing the contract, the My House video comes out, and Celsius drinks are all in that video. That video, hundreds of millions of views just on the official YouTube channel. I mean, billions of times it's been listened to. Uh, it's incalculable, the value of what that was worth. Uh, at his concerts, uh, everyone on stage wearing uh, Celsius uh, things. In his riders, you know, the, 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 the product's got to be there at, in, in, at the concert uh, for him to drink. He's seen drinking it. Everything, you know, people think on the Today Show, on Good Morning America, uh, on and on and on. The product from this little company down the road is now being seen everywhere. When you think about Flo Rida, little boy obsessed with music, shy kid, grew up to be this international icon, has this brand. What did they pay him for? What did they get? Because defense in this case really is we would have never given him 750,000 shares of stock. That would might one that war, would one day be worth a hundred dollars. We would have never done that. So you have to know what they were getting. What did they get? What did they pay me? Now, Celsius defended themselves. They said the company's rise to success was not because of Flowrider, but other factors like a major distribution deal with Anheuser-Busch. They also claim that they never reached those milestones in terms of certain amount of products sold, as Flowrider had said, and that Flowrider was wrong in his calculation, namely that a stick of the powder is not a unit, but rather a box of the powder sticks is a unit. They also said that Flowrider was incorrect in his assessment that the 2014 agreement extended those benchmarks through 2018. In fact, Celsius argued that Flowrider is only suing now because he realized he messed up, that he sold his stock too early and saw how well the company was doing. Here's a sample of the defense. And even with those representatives, like they knew we were constantly telling them this is not doing well. Um, and you're going to see that throughout this trial. You'll see some communications with your testimony about, about the back and forth. There were constant communication. So this 2014 agreement ends, and these bonus and incentive goals are not reached. And I want to stop here for a moment tell you that you're going to hear testimony from their own forensic expert, their own forensic accountant, who is going to admit to you that that $1 million co-branded revenue benchmark, that goal, was not met before March 6, 2016, when this contract expired. And you're going to hear testimony that if you're looking at a unit as the 40-count boxes that Celsius sold, that 690,000 unit incentive was not met before this contract expired. In fact, you're going to hear testimony from their own their own forensic accountant that that 690,000 unit goal 
if you're looking at boxes, wasn't even met until 2019. And during this trial, Flo Rida took the stand and talked about his impact on the brand. So what specific marketing uh, is reflected on the third page of this exhibit 2.5? Um, it's depicted as me at NASCAR with Blake Cook, me um, in GNC. Yes. What do you recall about Pandora ads relating to both Celsius ready to drink, Celsius generally, and Flofusion? Oh yeah, I recall doing um, overall. I recall doing, you know, ads for for Celsius and promoting the product. You know, um, the fact that you know my music is played all over, all over Pandora. It made it very easy for me to, you know, um, use my likeness to promote Celsius. What uh, What did you do in terms of performing um, and continuing to promote Celsius while the extension was being negotiated? Oh, while the extension was being negotiated, you know, I took this product with me, you know, to Asia, I took this product with me to Dubai, um, all of my shows, you know, at all of my performances, I continue to keep it there. This is um, a, 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 a billboard that represents the Celsius Heat product, and in my career, you know, everyone agreed that I was a proven artist, and that, you know, at this point, you know, I was proven that anything I touch would basically be successful. What happened to your music integrations in your videos that you put in, in, in My House and Ola and Greenlight? What happened to those integrations now? What's the current state of them? Oh, um, you can go on, on social media, go to the internet, and you'll see you know, these products still exist in my videos, and their plan continues. I mean, they're going to be playing forever. Are you aware of a lasting impact for Celsius as flows drink? most definitely, as well as, you know, there's other big names such as um, Doja Cat, who's, who calls Celsius Flow's drink. You know, they depict it as Flow's drink in particular. Has your influence as, uh, in, on the Celsius brand been recognized by Celsius board members publicly? Yes. Do you know a shark by the name of Kevin Harrington? Yeah, Kevin Harrington, um, he actually... Um, is one of the guys who talked heavily about me coming in and um, using my likeness to help Celsius. Now, in the end, the jury sided with Flo Rida and awarded him $82 million. Let me break that down for you. So the jury found that Celsius breached the original 2014 agreement because Flo Rida established that Celsius achieved the $1 million in gross co-branded revenue. Celsius failed to prove that this claim was time-barred or that Flo Rida waived his right to compensation and that Flo Rida proved that Celsius fraudulently concealed information related to this breach of contract and they awarded the rapper $27 million on that point. Then they awarded him $55 million because they found that Celsius breached the 2014 agreement again with respect to the 690,000 units of co-branded product that were sold. That was a big point. Big point there was that the jury agreed that this should be counted as individual units and not bulk units, as Celsius had argued. And the jury also found that Celsius breached the subsequent 2016 agreement and didn't pay him the required royalties, and then they awarded him a little over $5,000. Big award there, Dan. What's your reaction to that one? I mean, this is just your classic contract case. Uh, you know, they have one side saying this is what, what it means and Flo Rider on the other side saying, no, 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 I was there when this was done. This is exactly what it means. Uh, and then obviously you're going to take that to, to a jury when the discrepancy is that big and the jury, luckily for Flo Rider, found in his favor. But I think this is just one of those law school questions or bar exam questions that we've seen as lawyers you know, coming up. But... Uh, it's a classic. What what was offered? What was the agreement about? What was it agreed to? Was it met? Okay, well, it's time to pay up. By the way, I thought him on the stand helped a ton. I thought he was phenomenal on the stand. You did you do you feel the same way? I thought he, the way oh. he was very calm and like relatable, nice. Like I, I, he was. I thought he was a fantastic witness. Oh, exactly. He was able to break down exactly and put them in and his point of view of what was what was agreed upon, what, what what was spoken to, the things he did to incorporate the product into his everyday life on his social medias and music videos, 
you know, he's saying, I'm not just doing this, you know, out of the goodness of my heart, because I love the product. These were because I was trying to meet these obligations in, in, in my contract. I did all this work to help grow the brand. I met the contract went from, I think it was something, you know, like a dollar stock when he got involved to over a hundred dollars by the time the award was met. So, Hey, I 100 X your product. Where's my reward for? And they're saying, that's not what we meant. You know, that's not what we meant. Your contract was over eight years ago. I mean, it was a categorical win for him and his team in terms of like how the jury interpreted the language of the contract, the extension, not turning over information. Uh, you talked about how this is kind of like a, a standard contract claim that they won. Um, I also think it helped that they were still benefiting from his role with the company. You know, they were still benefiting from the powder product. They were still benefiting, I believe, from his endorsement. That That's at least what I took for that. They said basically because he put those products uh, in his videos, and he had talked about them. That's on YouTube. That's on social media. People are continuing to watch that. Yeah, they said at the time of the of the of the trials, like a hundred mil, million views on the My House video. He's you know popping Celsius and, and, and drinking it throughout. You can't go back now, you know, and scrub those out or green screen them out and re-edit them and put them out. You yeah. know, the, the, the damage is done, so those live on forever. And yeah, so the benefits of what he's done for the company and the brand association, it's there. And, and it also seemed to help prove what he was saying on the stand that he is his legitimacy as a proven artist who can help a company the reason i say that is because david gold who is the co-founder of d3m that's flowrider's licensing group they said that after this massive verdict they're pursuing other sponsorship and brand ambassador deals and flowrider launched his own energy brink energy drink brand called Jet Set One. So similar as we were talking about with the Depp case, it seemed that the win here was not just the, the verdict of 82 million, but what it meant for him in terms of getting other deals and, and starting other businesses. Oh, absolutely. I've seen his the energy drink on his social media that, that he's pumping out now. Obviously, he got a, a brand of buyers to get behind the Celsius. So just let's move those over to my brand now. But He's killing it. I saw, you know, this Pat, you know, he was doing suits. He was in the Super Bowl weekend performances out there with Gronkowski and he's back on tour and his name's back in headlines. So he's definitely uh, is making money on more ways than just the verdict. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I mean, I, I said it with the Gwyneth Paltrow ski case. I mean, she, she was countersuing for $1 in that one. And the fact that she won it, she proved her claims that she was right about what happened in that crash. That's a separate case but again so celebrities sometimes it's not even about the money it's about the the message that's coming out there the pr message uh, reestablishing their name and legitimacy okay as dan morgan and i continue talking about these massive monetary verdicts and decisions in recent cases let's move on to a really really difficult case maya kowalski so in 2015 maya was just nine years old when her health deteriorated significantly i mean she was diagnosed with CRPS, complex regional pain syndrome. This is a neurological condition where a person's body can misinterpret even light touches as excruciating pain, and it can cause stiffness, spasms, limited mobility. In the family's eventual lawsuit, which we're going to talk about, they use words like burning, bone crushing, shooting, stabbing to describe this painful sensation. It's horrible to think about, especially for such a young girl. And the family's doctor had actually treated Maya with ketamine, which it's our understanding can block someone's pain receptors and can try to normalize the body in a way. Now, it's not a miracle cure. There can still be flare-ups. And according to the Kowalskis, that's what happened in 2016. Maya had a flare-up and it was so bad that Jack and Beata, her parents, checked their daughter into Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital. 
Beata had told the hospital to treat Maya with ketamine because it had worked for her in the past, but according to their lawsuit, the hospital staff refused to follow the family's instructions or even the guidance of the family's medical specialists. The family says that the hospital staff lacked experience with CRPS and even seemed to suggest that they weren't telling the truth, that Maya might have been making this up. The family claims that the hospital staff were suspicious of Maya's family because the ketamine treatment seems so extreme. In fact, the family argued that the hospital suspected Maya might be a victim of child abuse and that this was a case of Munchausen syndrome by proxy, basically saying that Beata was suffering from a condition in which she was faking or causing her daughter's illness. That's what they said the hospital believed. And the family alleged that a hospital social worker contacted the Family Department of Children and Families to report Beata and refused to let Maya leave the hospital. In fact, Maya was taken into state custody and had to remain in the hospital. She didn't see her family for three months. Maya herself told People Magazine that she was, quote, medically kidnapped. And she claims that the hospital not only ignored her wishes and misdiagnosed her, but mistreated her, harmed her. In fact, there was an allegation that an employee may have inappropriately examined Maya, too. And this separation took a massive toll on Maya's family, including resulting in Beata's depression, fatigue, overwhelming sense of hopelessness. And sadly, in January of 2017, Beata died by suicide. This was all documented in the Netflix series, Take Care of Maya. Now, the Kowalskis sued the hospital for medical malpractice, claiming medical negligence, false imprisonment, battery of Maya, as well as intentional infliction of emotional distress. They also argued fraudulent billing of Jack Kowalski, infliction of emotional distress on Beata, and a wrongful death claim. And the main question was to see if the hospital engaged in wrongdoing, whether their actions contributed to Beata's suicide. Could this have been prevented? The defense, the hospital said, in light of all the circumstances, they acted reasonably. Now, during the trial, Maya testified about what she endured at the hospital in terms of pain and isolation. The nurses and doctors wanted to put a tube down my nose. And with CRPS, I mean, a blood pressure cuff, that hurts. Obviously, that would have caused so much pain. And I knew my body. I knew I was not going to be able to tolerate that. Um, that is the only time I asked for sedation. I didn't just randomly yell out, I need sedation, like depicted in the medical records. And then were you given sedation before they tried to put this tube down your nose? I was not. Um, and my mom was actually in the room and she listened to the doctors and didn't demand for sedation. Instead, about like I would say two or three people held me down and tried to get the tube down my nose. That is when I was screaming, crying, and thrashing around. So her mom was there with Natalie, the friend that I had made, and I was wheeled over there, and I talked to them. Another nurse observed this interaction and quickly told somebody. Next thing I know, Kathy Beattie is in my room saying I'm not to ever speak to a patient again. Um, and that day, Natalie had given me this little present because her mom noticed my parents were never with me. I think they just wanted to comfort me, and I have it in my bag today. Did they ever give you any reason why you, as a 10-year-old, couldn't just talk to the kid next door, for lack of a better term? I have no reason. I mean, they didn't give me any reason. During this period of time, do you recall an instance where your mom was trying to get in touch with you and the nurse said something different than just simply putting it through to you? So I remember that my mom was um, on this phone call and the person who she was speaking to, a person at the hospital, I'm not sure what role they had, but they claimed that I never asked to speak to my mom. I was doing fine. I was okay in my room. I hadn't had any questions about why my parents weren't allowed to see me. And that infuriated me so much because all I did for days on end was demand to speak to my parents. That's all I wanted to do. And I most certainly wasn't just sitting in my room. I was crying. And she also explained about the last time she saw her mom. My mom was like picking up her 
work bag and just like little things she had brought to the hospital and she said, I love you and I'll see you tomorrow. And I never saw her again. I bought my mom this very specific necklace that says I love you to the moon and back. It's just like, she always said that to me. Um, and then I found out later that she wore it every single day. And when she was found in the garage, she was still wearing it. And I have it on my neck right now. And in the end, after deliberating for over 16 hours, the jury came back with a monumental verdict. Claim one, false imprisonment, October 7th through October 13th, 2016, Maya Kowalski. One, did Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital falsely imprison Maya Kowalski without legal authority under circumstances that were unreasonable and unwarranted between October 7th and October 13th? 2016, yes. <laughs> the jury found the hospital liable on all counts and awarded the Kowalskis $260 million in damages, and that included $50 million in punitive damages. Now, a judge ultimately reduced that amount, saying that some of those damages were excessive, so he reduced the award to still $213.5 million, still massive. The judge ended up denying the hospital's motion for a new trial, arguing jury misconduct. But Dan, let's talk about this. What do you think of that number? And what do you think the tipping point was here in this case? Well, I think when you think of the number, you got to think of all the claims that went into this. It's Maya's, it's the dad's, it's the mom's. It's And each of those claims now, they all have their own individual claims. So there's the the emotional infliction of intentional distress, the pain and suffering, the mental anguish, each one of these is a separate category. But I think the number got so high because the jury had to consider each and every one, one of those categories. So when you know you keep dividing those up by, by the claims, it, it actually doesn't shock the Congress as much as you just seen that number, and it does. And again, I think it goes back to what we talked about er, um, earlier in the show, that this is them sen sending a message to all other hospitals stop this now because unfortunately we're seeing tons of these cases that are popping up now of doctors saying hey there's abuse going on and getting the dcf involved and ripping kids away from families when it's really just overzealous doctors that should shouldn't be making those calls right now so in other words the the hospitals this should be a wake-up call you might want to listen to the families you might want to listen to their for their family physicians because that's what this case centered down to they didn't believe what the kowalskis were saying or or they ignored it Oh, exactly. And, and the pain, if, if I mean, we, we heard in some of those clips, but and also if, if you follow this trial and seen the documentary, what, what Maya was experiencing and, you know, the tubes and just the, the, the cuffs on the arms, those aren't just normal sensations. Those are debilitating pain. Um, so the jury has to take into consideration, you know, the doctors ignoring her pain complaints and inflicting this type of pain and torture on a, a girl that's there for medical treatment. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty shocking stuff, but a, a, a verdict that I think, uh, it will, will be a wake-up call to the rest of the medical community. And they found that her mother's suicide was the hospital's fault. I mean, that was incredible to hear that. I mean, and, and again, the judge in this case said, um, you know, even though it's a large damages award, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's excessive. So, uh, again, just a pretty incredible case that, uh, you know, it extended to not only what happened to Maya, but her, her mother as well. I'll give you the final word on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it stems back, you know, you have to, but for this happening, what does that life look like for, 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 for Beta, for Maya, for everybody involved, the Christmases that, that have been taken away, all, all the family gatherings right. and, and future endeavors are gone because this family on one particular day, their daughter was having an episode and chose this hospital and now everything's been undone. Uh, no amount of money in the world is going to undo the damage that was done, you know. When you see these verdicts, it's really not, hey, now they have this money, everything is, is good and better. It's like, no, this is just to signify that a wrong was done and trying to fill that bucket as much as we can as a society. Yeah. All right, let's close this out with a slightly different verdict situation. I wanted your opinion on it. And it concerns the case of Alec Murdoch, the disgraced former South Carolina lawyer who went on trial last year for the murders of his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul, who were found shot to death on their family property. Now, he was ultimately convicted by a jury of his peers, particularly after the prosecution presented a smoking gun, namely a video from Paul's phone recorded just minutes before prosecutors say the murders happened, where you can hear Murdoch's voice, thereby placing him at the crime scene, despite his earlier admissions that he wasn't there, and he was sentenced to life in prison. 
Now, the prosecution put forward the motive that he murdered his family to take attention away from the fact that he was stealing from his clients and law firm, stealing millions of dollars, particularly stealing legal settlements from badly injured clients, families of those who lost loved ones, families of those who died. And, and these are people who suffered and he took their money. Now, Murdoch, he actually ended up pleading guilty to all of these financial crimes. In November of last year, 22 counts, including money laundering and financial fraud, he pled guilty to. And this resolved over 100 state charges that he was facing. In exchange, he was sentenced to 27 years in prison. Here's Judge uh, Clifton Newman, who presided over the murder and financial cases, talking a little bit more about it. I have lived with this case now for over two years, and um, I have 34 days left before active retirement. And after uh, imposing this sentence, uh, your life will continue. Uh, I will turn the page and uh, leave you behind. You're quite an, an enigma, uh, a person that many of us thought we knew. Um, and as I stated earlier, I can only recall you as being a fun-loving, happy person. I've never, uh, I've never seen you sad. I've never seen you um, being anything other than a friendly, caring person. And uh, it's so disappointing uh, to see you again in this setting. It's just unimaginable, unimaginable to me that you have done some of the things that you've done. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know who I'm speaking to now. What type of character do you have? Um, a person who would prey upon folks who are vulnerable and uh, who are of a lower perceived estate than you. And you'll have to suffer the consequences of your acts continue to suffer the consequences. An enigma indeed, right? Well, let's talk about the money, okay? So it was argued that Murdoch stole over $10 million, but he spent a lot of it. And through the courts, through the sale of Murdoch's real estate properties and personal property and liquidation of his 401k, over $2.1 million was able to be pieced together. But then you subtract the legal fees and the costs, and there's only about $1.7 million that was left over for his creditors, lawyers, colleagues, victims. And talk about the victims. Some will be paid, others won't from this amount. I mean, the special referee in this case determined who should be paid based on factors like actual harm or actual loss. So, for example, Renee Beach, as the representative of the estate of Mallory Beach, who died in a boat crash allegedly caused by Paul Murdoch before his death, 29% of the $1.7 million will go to her. Uh, financial victim and former Murdoch client Arthur Badger, 24%. Murdoch's law partner, Johnny Parker, gets 15%. And speaking of which, Murdoch's former law firm agreed that any money that it got would go to his former clients and victims. But like I said, some people didn't get a share of this because they already you know, received money through prior settlements, like $7 million. There was a prior settlement that included Tony Satterfield whose mom died in a slip and fall at Murdoch's house, and then Murdoch stole the settlement money from the insurance company. What a sordid case. But Dan, talk to us about the difficulty in finding money to pay off victims in these types of cases. I mean, this is because when you're dealing with a pathological liar, like, like you're in this case, you never know where all the money's at, too. So you don't, even when, when you hear this, is, here's all the accounts, here's all the real estate, you still never know, okay, is that really it? Is that really all, all, all there is? Um, but once you do have that pot and you do know, all right, this is at least what we're able to establish what we have, and that pot is then uneven or you're not a, a, able to, to distribute it, unfortunately does then go to a judge who has to play umpire and call the balls and strikes of who gets what. Um, it's a motion of equitable dis distribution, they call it. You know, we see it all, all the times in, you know, in, in car crash cases if someone was, you know, underinsured and they only have, certain amount of coverage and there's four people or five pe people in a car um the judges in those situations then have to decide who who gets what 
Uh, it's always a tough situation to be in with your clients and whoever else. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes the damage is there's not enough money available to to the plaintiffs to to recoup it. So, Dan, look, after going through all of these cases, I mean, from your perspective, your firm has gotten massive verdicts and settlements. We talk about it a lot here on the program. What are the main takeaways uh, from these cases? I mean, the main takeaways, if, you know, if you're getting, you know, one of these so long code, you know, nuclear type of verdicts, um, usually the, the behavior or, or, or the actions by the defense on the other side is something that shocks the conscience. Um, so in this case, when you have, you know, doctors, to met, you know, met medically kidnapping children or conspiracy theorists saying that no, uh, these actions didn't happen, that these deaths didn't happen, that your conspiracy uh, actors and so on and so forth, that there is going to be punishments. That there is a that in America there is a civil justice system that holds these people accountable. Um, that you can't say and do whatever you feel with no no repercussions. Although people still tend to think that's how it, it plays out, and then they get in these situations like Amber Heard does, where all of a sudden you're in a courtroom in Virginia and you're thinking, well, that didn't go as planned. Um, so I think that's the main takeaway that there has to be something behind the actions to, toward it. Um, and two, you have to have a litigator or an attorney that's able to speak for you, uh, be a witness that's able to speak for yourself, like we saw in Flow Rider, that, that can get on the stand and really articulate what happened, what was done wrong. Um, and then a lawyer, like in the Maya case, I can get up there and put all, all these damages that, hey, these are separate categories, that pain and suffering is not the same as mental anguish, that pain and suffering uh, is, the, is the actual pain. How, how you feel in the mental anguish is what that pain did to your mental state, and that those damages are separate and apart uh, to really stack up those, those, those damages. But I think um, that, we no, that we never really see these big verdicts and then find out the root cause and go, that's it. Um, there always is some substance behind it. Yeah, you talked about needing a good lawyer, Dan. Do you do you know a good lawyer, good law firm that people can uh, check out? I wonder. I know about a thousand of them that work at a small boutique firm called Morgan and Morgan. Uh, and we're all, yeah. all, all all fifty states conveniently, so uh, we've awesome. got you covered. Dan Morgan from Morgan and Morgan, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me today. All right, everybody, that's all we have for you right now here on Sidebar. Thank you so much for joining us. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jesse Weber. I'll speak to you next time. Thank you.